Here we are now, with another episode of the Andrew Lake Podcast. If you are a regular listener of the Andrew Lake Podcast, please share your favourite episode, as this will help me find my audience. It will help to find the people who are ready to hear what we are talking about here. And today, I'd like to share with you, I'd like to talk about, my current bookshelf. So this could be taken as a kind of recommended reading episode. These are the books that have influenced how I think and how I talk and how I view the world. And there's so much to say about this. There's so much richness in knowledge. And there are many people out there who are sharing their book list and who are recommending books. And it's just part of the, well, the game of sharing knowledge, which is, well, what books do you read and which books do you like? And so today is my chance to share that with you. (laughs) it's my chance to say what books have influenced with me and which I would recommend to you. Now, I've phrased this as my current bookshelf for the reason that my bookshelf is always changing. What is on my bookshelf is always changing. And it's been a long journey. I've read many books, dozens of books over the years, so many books. And many of those I got from the library or from different libraries. Many of them I borrowed from friends. Many of them I would buy from the book Fate or the book Festival and then actually donate them back again to the same festival after reading them. And many of the books that I've bought over the years, I've either, either given away or donated. So the current bookshelf that I have now and what you're hearing here today is refined. It is what I've really whittled down to, just my core books, because I was really trying to get rid of many of my worldly possessions and just have as few worldly possessions as possible. So these are the books I've held on to. And for the reasons which we will discuss as I share some thoughts about them. And there's something else to understand, which is that it's really up to you to find the good books. And you can listen to recommended reading lists by all sorts of people online, and you can listen to book reviews, but it's really on you to find what resonates with you, and that's a path. That's something that changes, because as you read, you'll understand more. And as you understand more, you'll be interested in different things. And as you become interested in different things, your values will change. And then you'll want to read about other things. So just to say that, well, the first step is just reading books. That's the first thing. Have a love for knowledge. There's something quite big in that. That in and of itself is quite big and separates you from many people already. And then the thirst for the juicy books, the good books. Well, you can hear what I'm saying here today, 
but also remember that it does come back to you. There's always going to be an amount of books that you come across which don't resonate with you, which you don't like, and which don't fit in with where you're currently at. So keep that in mind and just keep going. And my advice is to have a collection of books and keep refining it. Hold on to some, get rid of some. Get more books, read some, read them, don't read some. Even just having a book there and not reading it and seeing what you feel about it at different times, well, that can have something to do with your personal growth and knowledge expansion as well. And there are examples of that in what I'm sharing with you here today. So keep all that in mind. This is also one of those episodes you might want to have a piece of paper and a pen nearby so that you can write down the titles and the authors, just of the ones that you think, oh, I like the sound of that. I might hear some more about that. I'd like to check that out. So have your pen and paper ready. Have your notes taking devices ready, whatever it is that you choose to make notes on. So then, without further preamble, let's pop into it. It's about 80 books. So it is refined. It's not a big list. And if I was to say all of the books that have influenced me, it would be probably hundreds. But these are the core ones, or at least these are the ones that have made their way onto my current bookshelf. So we have a few categories, and I'll let you know about them as we go. First category is by author. It's Ken Wilber. Of course, Ken Wilber. I've spoken about Ken Wilber so much. And I'll be speaking more about him again and again. And his books really have done so much for me. And it's really the end of the road. If you're ready for Ken Wilber and you can read those sort of books, it's sort of a it's sort of a breaking through. Like the thoughts of the sorts of things that can happen to your perspective when you really break into integral vision and integral perspective, well, there's nothing quite like it. It's a it's a gift. It's Ken Wilber's gift to the world. And to really get in that and to really go through that, well, first of all, it's going to take some time because you need to have a certain you need to have the certain foundation. You need to have a certain amount of knowledge already just to be able to get into it. But once you're there, well, it's a lasting thing. And I cannot say enough how much Ken Wilber and his philosophies have shaped how I think about things. And I have an entire episode dedicated to Ken Wilber. I think I called it something like A Buffoon Explains Integral Theory. Or Are You Ready for Integral Theory? A buffoon's tribute to Ken Wilber. Yeah, I think that's what I called it. Something like that. And I also have an entire series on the book Grace and Grit. And that's a chapter-by-chapter commentary on the book. So very in-depth explanations of integral theory and Ken Wilber in that series. So you can go back and listen to that 
I think it's something like 20 hours or tw- it's 22 episodes and probably probably it's probably longer than 22 hours in that series. So plenty of information there on that book. And of course, Grace and Grit, well, that book is on my shelf. Other books by Ken Wilber that are on my shelf. A Brief History of Everything. And that one's good as an introduction to integral theory because it's a bit more of the layman's kind of language that he uses and it's in an interview style layout. So it's question and answer sort of layout. And then there's also A Theory of Everything, which is sort of the introduction to integral theory, and that's very concise, very dense. And then there's also, on my bookshelf, The Atman Project and No Boundary. And those two, The Atman Atman Project and No Boundary, they're sort of early Ken Wilber, and there's a difference. There's sort of a difference that you need to understand between the early Ken Wilber books and the later ones, which is that the earlier ones are about personal transformative practice. And they're about having a poetic sense of existence. And he does some poetic writing and some inquiring writing. So it's sort of meditative and mystical. And he sort of blurs that in with philosophical understanding and psychological understanding. And that's different to the later works, which are a lot more metaphysical. They're they're more about the meta-theory, which is theory about theory, or theory about everything, or theory about how different perspectives interact with each other, and so on. So depending on where you're at, the earlier works of Ken Wilber might resonate more with you than the later ones. And of course, I recommend both. And for the full dose of Ken Wilber, he's got the book, which is on my bookshelf, called Sex, Ecology, Spirituality. And that is a big one. That is the full dose. If you can wrap your head around that, and I've said it before, then you can really, (laughs) you can wrap your head around just about anything. (laughs) I've also got a copy of Integral Psychology, and that's a very foundational work, which is good for indexing other psychologies because it's a meta-psychology. It's a psychology about psychology or a theory about psychology, and he even goes in to explain some of them. So that's a very good place to start as well if you want to know more about Ken Wilber and his work. I have read more Ken Wilber books than that. I think I've gotten rid of some of them or given them away, lent them to people and not seen them again. But what's that, like eight books, nine books? Oh, there's also this one, which is Integral Life Practice. So that's sort of more practical and the application of integral theory to your life. And it's got routine blueprints. It's got how you can choose which practice, and it's got multiple bodies, which body you want to work with, what things are good for, which sorts of therapies, and that's co-written by a bunch of other people as well. So integral life practice is really, 
it's sort of the, the self-help version of integral theory or the, the down-to-earth, like, what do we do about integral theory? And that has been foundational to how I've constructed my routine, my personal routine. And it's been great because it means that you can hit all quadrants and all lines and you can really work on the full spectrum of your being, which means that you make progress a lot quicker and it's not lopsided. So I highly recommend that book as well. You really need you really need at least some understanding of integral theory before you can fully appreciate integral life practice. I mean, you could start with just integral life practice. It, it could serve as an introduction, but you really do need a theoretical understanding, a strong theoretical understanding to jettison yourself off into. Okay, the next category I've got is psychology, and it's quite a small category. In that section, I've got lateral thinking by Edward de Bono, and I've done a, an entire episode on that, talking about linear thinking and lateral thinking and the differences therein. There's also The Psychology of Man's Possible Evolution by Peter Ospensky. And that's a very short book. Well, it's a, it's a collection of lectures that Ospensky gave in relation to the work of George Gugiev. And that has, some, that has some very powerful concepts in it, which are still with me today and are absolutely foundational. Concepts like being centered in doing or thinking or feeling. And I believe I've even done a whole episode on that book as well. In fact, I think I've done, now that I'm looking at it, I think I've done an episode dedicated just to that book and also the next book, which is Towards a Psychology of Being by Abraham Maslow. And also Religions, Values and Peak Experiences. I think I actually did the second of the two Abraham Maslow books that I've got. So Religions, Values, and Peak Experiences by Abraham Maslow. I did a full conversation on that. I don't know if I did very well in that episode. I don't know if I was quite clear. Maybe I'll say some more words about it in the future. But Abraham Maslow is sort of ABC psychology. You really need to have at least some understanding of the hierarchy of needs and the difference between action and being or doing and being and peak experiences, and all, all these sorts of things. This is just sort of ABC, entry-level psychology. If you do psychology in high school, there's a good chance you'll do Abraham Maslow. So a lot of psychology books over the years I've gotten rid of, and I just didn't feel the need to hold on to them because I felt, well, they'd serve their purpose. They were a part of my understanding. So it's good to have a big collection of books on psychology and those books on psychology of these classics like Peter Ospensky and Abraham Maslow and Edward de Bono, they can be the building blocks for something like integral psychology. They can be the building blocks for integral understanding. So Ken Wilber's book Integral Psychology is sort of the indexing mechanism and then the books on psychology or the classic books on psychology 
are the things that you do the indexing with or you put into an index so you can flesh it out. And that's psychology. It's a very, I was surprised that I didn't have more books on psychology. And I'm sure I've had more in the past, but I sort of moved on in a different direction from the classic psychology. The next section is self-help and personal development. So many of these books you would have heard about on the internet because they're the mainstream. They're the ones that everyone's talking about and everyone's recommending. And I sort of feel a bit funny about saying that they're on my bookshelf. But self-help and personal development is an important category. It's an important thing to go through. It's an important thing to understand. So this is what I've got by Robert Greene, The Art of Seduction, Mastery, The 48 Laws of Power. And there was another one, but I've lost it, whatever the other one is. But Robert Greene, he's he's someone... What, He's sort of hard to say anything much about. And my, well, let me share my experience of him. When I read these books, I thought they were great. I thought it was like a new opening. And I learned a lot from them. I did. And it was really interesting to adopt some of the attitudes in them for some time. But I had to move on. I had to get away from them. And a lot of the things in those books can be taken the wrong way and they can be actually quite damaging. And the thing that eventually got me off Robert Greene was his tone. It's sort of the tone of voice. And he's got that one about, he's got a book which I haven't read about relationships. And I forget what it's called. It's just the more recent one. And I've heard him talk about it, and it's his tone. It's his, it's his tone of voice and the, the way that he's saying the things that he is that really put me off. And that's important because when I heard his tone of voice, rather than just reading the books for myself, I realized that he's a pessimist. And that's a limited worldview. And it's not a worldview you want to stay in for very long. It's a worldview that you need to use correctly. So I don't know if I can really recommend Robert Greene to anyone, but for me it was interesting to play with some of his ideas for some time. Next self-help book on my list is Retire Young, Retire Rich by Robert Kiyosaki. Of course, that's a classic. And the other classic of his is Retire Young, Retire Rich. Oh, sorry, Rich Dad Poor Dad. I'm, I'm, still reading the, <laughs> I'm still reading the one that's on my bookshelf. It's Rich Dad Poor Dad, and that is one of the iconic self-help books. It's the classic sort of starting point for self-help. And this is just success meme. It's just the rationalist meme, the businessman meme. And the reason I kept my copy of Retire Young, Retire Rich was that in that book, he actually talks about 
going beyond money. And it's only briefly that he mentions it. I don't know if it really occurs to him what he's saying. It's really hard to see if he understands the significance of some of the things he says in that book. But essentially what happens is he made all this money and then he found some time alone. He had some time to relax. He had some time to self-reflect. He had some time to go back over his life. And he looked back over his life and he realized that in his days of business and investing, he'd actually hurt a lot of people. And there was a lot of regret there of the ways he'd treated people and the ways he'd taken advantage of people and the ways he'd spoken to certain people and the ways he'd used people as resources. And I thought, wow, even Robert Kiyosaki can go beyond money. Even Robert Kiyosaki can self-reflect and have introspection. But that's not a central thing to this book. That's only part of this. It's only a sort of passing comment that he makes within this book. And of course, I'm also all for financial intelligence. Like you do need to understand money. Like there's no doubt that I had a before and after in my understanding of money from reading the works of Robert Kiyosaki. And that's something we all, well, many of us need more help with. Many of us need to understand that but also to see how it fits in with everything else. And that's a step on the personal development journey. Next book is Games People Play by Eric Byrne. Well, that should be in the the psychology section. That's transactional analysis. And I've got an episode called I'm Okay, You're Okay by Eric Byrne. And that talks about Transactional Analysis. Next book is Understanding Jung, Understanding Yourself. So this is a sort of self-help version or a self-help discussion of the work of Carl Jung. And it talks about how you can use shadows and archetypes and different personality types to increase your self-knowledge. And I found that book very interesting. Next book is The Consolations of Philosophy by Alain de Botton. And no, that does not go in the philosophy section. It goes in the self-help section. (laughs) And this book was great because it served as an introduction to other philosophies. And Alain de Botton is just a brilliant mind. He knows so much. He's got a vast wealth of knowledge to him. And there's no doubt that he has got great insights and he's really switched on for pointing you in the direction of more things to find. Now, the insights that he draws, that's one thing. And then how he brings to light an old classic like an old Socrates philosophy or Greek philosophy, well, that's another thing. And he's good at both. The insights that he makes, well, you can come up with your own and other people have more. And also, well, when he does make an introduction, well, it's good to go further. And that's really what I get from that book is to go further. Next book is by Neil Strauss. And it's called The Rules of the Game. 
And I don't think I've actually read this. I haven't read this full book. And Neil Strauss, he's he's sort of the the guy or the go-to guy for pickup culture. And he wrote the famous book, The Game. And the rules of the game is a sort of spin-off of that. And he's also got a book called The Truth. And it's all about basically how to pick up girls or his experiences of chasing tail constantly for years and years on end and having nightlife culture and basically trying to have sex with as many people as he can. And I kept it on my bookshelf just for just to try and keep my perspective different because I don't really I don't really see myself as someone who can relate very well to someone like that. And actually in his book The Truth, I think I've read some of that as well. It's it's almost like a similar sort of thing as what Robert Kiyosaki was done. It was like in the later books he reflected that, oh, that's probably not the best way to go about things. And there's a lot of hurt surrounding the things I did. And there's a lot of regret in me now. And it's sort of like, well, now you tell us, or now you're having this knowledge, which is undermining the things you used to be saying. And that's a tricky position to be in. I mean, that's a funny, that's a funny thing for a writer to face which is that, oh, I wrote this entire book on something that was wrong and now I'm trying to write a book that sort of cleans up the mess that I had or illustrates the mess that I made. And I don't think every author does that. Not every author does. I mean, you can't really say that about Ken Wilber. With Ken Wilber, you say, well, his books, his early books, have stood the test of time. They've been improved, yes, but they haven't caused a lot of mess, whereas... I don't know if you could say that about Neil Strauss, and I don't know if I would recommend his books, because what we really want is human connection, what we really want is self-knowledge, and these sort of in-the-gutter, chasing-tail techniques, uh, well, there's just something that doesn't sit quite right with them, with me. Next book is Inner Engineering by Sadhguru, and I also have a full book review episode on that. So you can listen to that. Next book is Buying Property for Dummies. So that's if you don't know anything about buying property, then I figured that would be a good introduction. And that's the Australian version. You do need to get the version that is for your country because property law, of course, is in different countries, different in every country. And also you need to get that book that's sort of in date because the laws do change over time, even within the countries. But there are principles in that that I've found useful. Not that I'm buying property. (laughs) I'm not going to be buying property anytime soon. Next book is Hot Sex by Tracy Cox. So that's about what what you can do in the bedroom. And that's a very sort of ABC sort of introduction to intimacy and a lot of the things in that book you can just figure out for yourself there's nothing really that revolutionary in there and sort of just spelling out what if you explore if you explore things diligently or you explore things enthusiastically you can find everything that's in that book for yourself but sometimes hearing someone say it is enough to just solidify it or make it clear for you. 
And that's what a lot of self-help is. It's just saying what you almost already know or could have figured out for yourself, but still helps because it is, well, it's just reinforcing something that wasn't entirely clear for you. I also sort of just have that book for show. I just like to have Hot Sex as one of the books on my bookshelf, just to show that it's diverse, so that I'm not all, I'm not completely nerdy. I mean, you could say reading a book on sex is a bit off the mark. (laughs) It's not quite the same as having sex, is it? (laughs) Next book is The Alchemist by Panlo Colejo, Coelho, very uh, famous self-help book. Next book is The 4-Hour Workweek by Timothy Ferris, also very famous, but actually now very much out of date. That book did not age well at all. It was very much too specific with its advice or its techniques. And many of the things in there are completely out of date. Many of the websites and the organizations or the resources that he's described in there are completely out of date. So I can't really recommend that. But the principles, there are still principles that apply. And so that's why I've kept that book. Next book is Psycho-Cybernetics. Well, that should be in the psychology section as well. This is a book by Maxwell Maltz, and that is a book, well, it's also spoken of as a self-help book. That's a book where, it's a book about this plastic surgeon who started doing research into self-image, because he had these patients that would come along and he'd do plastic surgery on them, and then they'd have different responses to how they viewed themselves psychologically from their change in appearance or how their body changed. And he found that there were these things within the psyche that were structures that could be programmed. And you could actually reverse engineer your own self-esteem and your own self-image. So psycho-cybernetics is basically treating aspects within your psychology as robots which you can program and you can reprogram and once they're programmed well then you get a different outcome and that's why it's called psychocybernetics and that's a very interesting concept very interesting idea next book is called depression a stepping stone towards bliss and this is by modita van zumeren She is an incredible woman, an incredible woman, someone I admire greatly, and I highly recommend this book, this book of hers, which she has written, Depression, A Stepping Stone Towards Bliss. Now, this book, I actually bought directly from her. It was from her herself. I actually met her, and, well, I'd like to call her a friend. (laughs) She's an acquaintance. She's someone I've ran into here and there 
in my travels, and I hope we can meet again. There's a good chance we might meet again. I get the feeling we're going to meet again one day. And this book shit that she's written is, well, it's a personal story about her experiences with depression, and it's also a discussion of many, many methods and techniques, meditation techniques, therapy techniques, psychological techniques, all sorts of things. So that book can sort of serve as an introduction. Like a lot of these books, sort of like the Alain de Botton, The Consolations of Philosophy, serves as an introduction to philosophy. Well, this book can serve as an introduction to therapy and meditation. And it is, it's sort of more edgy. Well, it's not edgy. How should I say? It's not, it's not written in the mainstream way. She's written it in her own way. And there is something that is charming about it because it's so personal and it's such a unique style that she writes in. And so it's, it, it's sort of, it's sort of, I want to say unprofessional, but it's professionally, it is professionally done. I just want to say it's not mainstream. It's not a mainstream style of writing like these other self-help books. And you'll understand that if you read it. And there's something in that. There's something in reading something from the fringe and reading something from a person you've actually met face to face. And I sit back and I look at my book collection. I think it's the only book that I've bought from the author directly. And I think most of the authors are either in other countries or or the largest proportion of the authors would be dead. But some of the at least some of the books I could have gone to a book launch. Like if you ever get the chance to go to a book launch with the author, definitely do that. It's definitely something in that. There's there's a there's a unique relationship to you and the book which comes about when you buy a book in that way. So that's Depression, A Stepping Stone Towards Bliss by Modita Van Zumeren. Next is What Really Matters by Tony Swartz, Searching for Wisdom in America. And I believe it was that book that actually got me onto Ken Wilber because he talks, to, he talks about Ken Wilber in that book. He says that Wilbur has managed to marry the Buddha and Freud. East meets West. So that was probably the best thing that came from that book. And what really matters, it's sort of another one of those books which are on the upper end of self-help. Like a lot of self-help is it's self-centered. It's centered around the self. And that's understandable because, well, that's why it's self-help. And we need help for ourselves. We need to help ourselves. We need self-help. But with What Really Matters by Tony Schwartz, he's sort of starting to go beyond that. He's sort of starting to open up the perspective into bigger things and widening the circle of what's important. And that's why it's an important book. That's why it's an interesting book. It's sort of a it's sort of a way beyond self-help. It's sort of one of the books you might read and start to think outside of just the self-help genre once you read it. And now the last book for the self-help section. This is Way of the Superior Man 
by David Data. And I sort of feel two ways about this book. Sometimes I like it, sometimes I don't. And it's a bit different. It's not quite the same as the pickup book, but it is still to do with sexuality and it's still to do with feminine and masculine. But he does go deeper. And the good thing about Way of the Superior Man is he gives principles and he discusses how they work and backs and forth. And if you're taking these on as ideas that you can just try and see if they work or not, well, it's okay to experiment with them for some time. And, of course, Way of the Superior Man is a very famous self-help book. I mean, many people talk about it. So there's plenty that you can find out about that book without even needing to read it as such. And that's all I've got pretty much for my self-help section. Next we have philosophy and religion. And this is the biggest section that I've got. This has the most books in it. So, and that's no surprise, I'm sure, to you, if you're a regular listener. (laughs) I'm sure you understand that, if you know me to any extent. First book, The Communist Manifesto. That's sort of just old literature. Actually, what I've got is the pamphlet version. There's two versions of the Communist Manifesto, which is the full version and then the pamphlet version. And the pamphlet version is very short. It's just a couple of pages long. You can read it in an hour or so. And I just got that because I thought it was interesting. Next one is Plato, The Republic. Classic piece of philosophy. Classic philosophy. Next one is... Peter Singer, Famine, Affluence and Morality. Peter Singer is an Australian philosopher, still alive, and he talks about morality, and he's got some classic classic images, like the child drowning in the lake. It's sort of a moral dilemma, which is if there's a child drowning in the lake, and you're the only one that can save it, and all it's going to take for you to save it is to walk in and pick it up, Well, are you obligated to save the baby? And his answer is yes. And he then goes on to argue that, well, that's the situation we are in with world poverty. Because removal of understanding and removal of distance of location should not remove the obligation of responsibility. And, well... There are people that argue the other way. There are many there are many arguments against Peter Singer as well because he ignores much of the economic structure and the different things that are complex and come into there's a, there's a, there's a whole bunch of sides of the story. It's a back it's a back and forth, but it's definitely something you should be aware of. It's just something that you should really entertain because it's such a tricky idea. It'll make your make your brain tweak tweak if that's a word and the other thing about peter singer is that he's got a very strong call to him he's a very he's a moving writer so writers that 
evoke a sense of action is what we call a moving writer. You feel like you want to do something. You feel like you want to jump out of your seat, which is different to reading a book and you just think, oh, that's an interesting idea or that's what I think I should do or that's a good way of thinking about it, that sort of thing. So just for that in and of itself, it's worth reading Peter Singer. Next book is The Abolition of Man by C.S. Lewis. I have a whole episode on that. Next, I've got Frederick Nietzsche, Twilight of the Idols and The Antichrist. I also have the Frederick Nietzsche book, Thus Spoke Zarathustra. And these are classic pieces of philosophy. These are deep literature texts. And there's so much that they have done to shape human knowledge across many cultures and many times. And there are many commentaries on Frederick Nietzsche. And I would actually recommend that you don't read Nietzsche directly, but actually listen to a commentary on Nietzsche because he's so dense and he's so obscure and he's so heavy that it's very hard to even understand any of it. And much of it, I I can't understand a word of it. So when it comes to Nietzsche, I actually say the best thing to do is to listen to someone talk about Nietzsche or get a book which is about Nietzsche rather than reading Nietzsche directly. Next book is The Way to Freedom by His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. Next book is The Doors of Perception by Aldous Huxley. I've also got Heaven and Hell by Aldous Huxley. Next book is Animal Farm by George Orwell. And then the next book is Beetroot Russell, Why I Am Not a Christian. Wait, Beetroot Russell? Beetroot. What is Beetroot? Ah, no. It's Bertrand Russell, of course. Bertrand Russell, not Beetroot Russell. Sorry, I get, my, I get my bees mixed up. But that's a rationalist book, like why I am not a Christian. That's, it sort of predates the new atheism movement of Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins and those sorts of guys. But, I mean, it's just rationalist paradigm. There's nothing really outside... That one, I mean, Beetroot Russell was a rationalist, so he never got out of it. He never was anything further than it. He never was able to see beyond it. So if you understand that, if you understand what the rationalist paradigm is, its limits and its qualities, then you can read that and understand, well, you know, when I read Beetroot Russell, I just think, oh, okay, so you are a rationalist paradigm thinker, and that's it. And it's sort of it's sort of boring. It's sort of too easy to it's too easy to understand him, and we've re- we've moved on since then. So that's some thoughts on Bertrand Russell, Beetroot Russell. Next book is Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. I've also got a copy of The Weight of Glory by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, he's a pretty quirky character. Maybe I'll say more about him in the future. Next book is The First and Last Freedom by Krishnamurti, Jiddu Krishnamurti. 
Next book is The Book. It's titled The Book by Alan Watts. And the subtitle is On the Taboo Against Knowing Who You Are. And I've read a lot of Alan Watts' books. And I've listened to a lot of his talks. Listening to his talks are great because he has that wonderful accent. Oh, what an accent. What a voice. Really is an iconic voice in this age. And, well, all of Alan Watts's books are set reading for comparative literature. They're sort of standard reading for comparative religion and understanding mysticism and understanding Eastern religion and understanding how it fits in with Western philosophy. And he's got great examples. He's very clear. He says things in a very simple way. And it's just a brilliant collection of work that Alan Watts has made. And they're short books, most of his books. And it's really standard reading for comparative religion. It's really the the propellant. Within that, you get the propellant of what it means to compare different religions. Next book is The Great Chain of Being by Lovejoy. Don't get close to that unless you want to head trip big time. That's what we call high philosophy. High, high philosophy. The writing in that book is hugely dense, hugely complex, multiple ideas, far-reaching ideas. And it really is like I couldn't get through it. It was just too far beyond me. It's one of those books that you really need to be a scholar to understand. You need a PhD in philosophy to be reading that sort of thing. So again, maybe read the commentary on The Great Chain of Being rather than the actual book, The Great Chain of Being by Lovejoy. And Ken Wilber, the reason I got that book is because Ken Wilber talks about him. Or Ken Wilber does commentaries on him. Or he comments on him. He doesn't do full commentaries on him. Next book is On the Shortness of Life by Seneca. Classic piece, classic work. I've spoken about that book so much. And I keep coming back to it again and again. Next book is Plato, The Last Days of Socrates. That one really is fun. I like that one so much. (laughs) Socrates just lays it out. He really does. Next book, Man's Search for Meaning by Victor E. Frankel. This one sometimes gets put into the category of self-help. And it's a very famous book. Lots of people are talking about that book. And it's a very horrifying image of human suffering. And there are many insights into the nature of survival and the nature of what it means to go through harsh conditions. And perhaps no one had it worse, really, than the people that are described in that book and Victor E. Frankel himself and what he endured. So it's sort of one of the books that people say, before you die, you must read it. And there's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of weight behind it. And for a world perspective, 
for history and philosophy and human experience. That book goes a long way for opening things up. Next book is Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Classic. What a classic. Next book is Life Ahead by Krishnamurti. I've also got An Inquiry into Meaning and Truth by Bertrand Russell. So that one is very much similar to Why I Am Not a Christian, in that there's these huge things which he completely dismisses and doesn't deal with in order to maintain his closed rationality. And you can see that very much in that book. And he also talks about linguistics and words and the constructions of words and sort of cognitive shapes and these sorts of things. But it's when I read that book, it's like he was... It was like he always came up again and again to the edge of the paradigm, but never stepped off it. And I was sort of on the edge of my seat reading and reading and reading and saying, is he going to, is he going to get it? Is he going to get it? And he's sort of right there because he keeps, he's really trying, like he's really going for it. Like he's sincere about his inquiry. There's no doubt about that. And he really wants to find out, but he never quite lets go. He never quite jumps off. And so that's why that book is a bit, well, it's a bit of a disappointment because we need more than just our sort of outdated, well, not outdated, but limited rationality, which he uses. Next book is Life in the Woods by Thoreau. I think that book was lent to me, actually. Might need to give it back to whoever I lent it to. Next book is God by Reza Aslan. And that's another good book for comparative religion because he traces the history of the idea of God through multiple religions and multiple cultures and multiple epochs. So for an introduction to comparative religion or to get more of what we called when we were talking about Alan Watts' propellants or propellant of comparative religion. You can read this book by Reza Aslan. God. Highly recommended. Very interesting. Next book is The Art of Happiness by His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Next book is Become What You Are by Alan Watts. And finally, in my philosophy and religion section, I've got Sam Harris, Waking Up. And I kept that book mostly for sentimental reasons because it was one of the first books that I read which introduced me to bigger things in a very profound sense. And in some ways... Harris has a limited worldview. In other ways, he's brilliant. And really, there's so much that you can learn. Like, I can't say anything bad about Sam Harris. I mean, the stuff that he does is great. It's clear. He's fighting the good fight. He sincerely wants things to be better. He's 
sharing his view of a better world and where we disagree and where we see that he might be limited or we, we don't want to entertain certain ideas, then, well, you can just let him be. But this book, Waking Up, it's really something I'm quite fond of. It really was the start of my interest in meditation, really. It's one of the things that got me sort of away from reading so much. I mean, there was a period there where all I was doing was reading. It was just reading, reading, reading. Books, books, books. And when I wasn't reading books, I was listening to reviews about books, of working out what book to read next. And on that sort of frantic obsession with reading, I came across Sam Harris. And that was the thing that opened me up to say, well, no, I need to look at things experientially. I need to actually meditate and not read. And there's, an, there's a value to putting the book down, closing my eyes, thinking things through, contemplating, and doing those things that are beyond reading. So that's Sam Harris, Waking Up. Very famous book. I'm sure you've heard of it. Very famous book. And that's everything for philosophy and religion. The next section on my bookshelf is non-fiction. Oh, sorry, not non-fiction. It's all, <laughs> it's all been non-fiction so far. It's fiction and literature. And this is a very small section. It's only five or six books. We've got Ernest Hemingway, To Have and Have Not, which is a classic piece of literature. I've got... Oscar Wilde, The Picture of Dorian Gray, and I do have an entire episode, I think it was an entire episode, maybe a mini-series. It was either a mini-series or a, a very long episode on The Picture of Dorian Gray. So if you want to find more about that, you can go back and listen to that. And then there's George Orwell, 1984. I have a three-part series on that. And I, I realize now that I've got Animal Farm in the philosophy section and 1984 in the literature section. I mean, is George Orwell philosophy or literature? I don't know. Maybe we're just hair splitting at this stage. And then next, I've got the only modern piece of fiction writing in my entire collection. And this book is very much something special. This book is something that I adore so much. And this is The Sense of an Ending by Julian Barnes. And it must be one of the most brilliant pieces of writing that I have ever read in the fiction genre. And you could say, well, Dosta, you don't read fiction. How can you say it's brilliant? <laughs> and, well, that's true. But... I highly recommend it. And it's a very famous book. He got this big prize. And Julian Barnes, well, he's big time now. He's a very famous author. And it it is just it just sucks you in. And it's got such a twist to it. And it's so tightly woven. Each thread and each piece of wording and each line and each idea is 
so meticulously and beautifully crafted and you really feel like you're there with the character. It's one of those books where you feel like you're inside the experience of the character. And the twist at the end, oh my goodness, I'm not going to give it away, but I, it's just like, whoa, what? I had to read it twice. It's one of those moments in the book where you, you have to sort of flick, flick back and forth on the page, on the paper, and you think, is this true? Is this happening? And so, so much beauty to it. And that sort of writing, it doesn't, I mean, fiction, it doesn't really always have big ideas that are sort of right in your mind like nonfiction does. And it does have ideas, it has themes, and it does have certain things that you know make you think, but not like nonfiction. So Julian Barnes, The Sense of an Ending, it's more of a, more of a thing for entertainment or to make you feel good to read. Sort of my light reading, I guess. And I wish I, sh- I wish I had more of his books. I probably will get more of his books because they're quite good. And, well, I've heard him talk as well, and he's a very good speaker. He's got a very good voice. Sort of a voice like Alan Watts. I think they're both English. Maybe it's just the English accent that I like. And the last book in my fiction section is The Chronicles of Narnia. Well, it's six books, I guess. Seven books. Six or seven books in The Chronicles of Narnia. And that's just a childhood book collection that I loved when I was a child. And I think I'll actually do... I'm considering doing a whole series on The Chronicles of Narnia, like I did with Harry Potter. So I actually don't have copies of Harry Potter at the moment. I had to borrow those for the series I did. But I recommend that as well. I've got this whole series on the Harry Potter books, the entire Chronicles. So maybe I'll do a similar thing with the Chronicles of Narnia. We'll see how it goes. Who knows what the future holds. So next section is a small section, is sort of miscellaneous, sort of psychology, commentary. Five books. One is... Picasso. It's a biography by Patrick O'Brien. And there are a lot of commentaries, uh, a lot of biographies on Picasso. Picasso is one of those figures of history that have all sorts of things surrounding him, all sorts of stories, all sorts of things come up. And basically, basically everyone, anyone that knew Picasso has written a book about him. And so I don't know if there's anything particularly special about this biography, but it resonated with me, so I recommend it. And Picasso is an incredible character. He is an incredible personality, an amazing person. So it's very much worth knowing about him and his art and what his life was like. Next book is We Should All Be Feminists by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. I hope I've pronounced that name right. It's a bit of a tongue twister. But this book is quite good because it offers a different perspective. And in many ways, I agree with it. We should all be feminists by the way that she explains it, by the way she talks about it and discusses it, I tend to agree with her. 
And of course, feminism, well, it's a complex idea. There are many ways we can look at it, but essentially, yes, we should all be feminists. Next book is Stephen Pinker, The Sense of Style. That's a book on how to write. And the next book is The Stuff of Thought by Stephen Pinker. And that's been great. I love that book so much. All my ideas about cognitive shapes and different ways of conceptualizing things within the mind. A lot of that comes from Stephen Pinker's book, The Stuff of Thought. So highly recommend it. And he's very famous. You can find out a lot about him online. And the last book in this section is A Field Guide to Getting Lost by Rebecca Solnit. And I have an entire series on that. Well, not a series, but an entire review of that. I think it's one of the longest episodes, I think. I think it's something like three hours long. And we go through that in detail in there. So if you want to find out more about A Field Guide to Getting Lost, you can listen to that. And, of course, it's a charming book. It's very well written, so highly recommended. And now we come to the last section. And this is a section by author. And the author is Osho. Osho has been a pinnacle influence on how I view the world and my understanding of reality. And his work is rich, it's deep, and there is so much in it. There is so much that you can learn. There's so much that can open up for you if you have an appreciation of his work. Now, he is the author of over 600 books, so it's a bit hard to know where to begin. And to say author, well, it's not exactly accurate because these are transcriptions of words that he has spoken. So like Krishnamurti and the Dalai Lama and some of those other religious figures, he's just spoken into a microphone and had the words then put into the medium of book. So it's not exactly writing in the same way that Ken Wilber or Plato writes. But nonetheless, reading his words, reading about his ideas, has been so opening for me. And I've learnt so much also from going to the Osho International Meditation Resort to experience the techniques and the methods that he invented. But here, well, let's talk about the books. What books have I got on my bookshelf? One of them is From Sex to Superconsciousness. From Sex to Superconsciousness. And this is a small book, and it's one of his early books. Sort of a pamphlet size. And it's really the book that broke him onto the fame sort of famous guru level of popularity. And there's no way I can sum up this book. There's no way that I can 
illustrate how deep his ideas are and how powerful they are. And his call is really to go beyond sex. And he has an immense amount of clarity around the confusion of sex and the frustration of sex and the cultural taboos around sex. And he's a heavy-hitting visionary because he goes for the truth and he's ruthless for it. He's really laying it out as it should be laid out. And there are things in that book that, well, they can transform how you understand sex and consciousness. And it's really too much to sum up in just a couple of words. The next book I've got by Osho on my bookshelf is called The Book of Woman. And this was compiled by a by a sannyasin, an Osho follower, a German sannyasin. And what they've done is they've gone through all the lectures by Osho, or all the Q&A, question and answer sections, sessions by Osho, and got together all the ones that are about women. All the things he says about women. And he's compiled them into a book. And, of course, well, very heavy ideas, very visionary ideas. So if you're a feminist, then this should be given literature. It should be set literature for your understanding of what it means to be a woman. And, of course, in some ways, well, I guess in some ways I call myself a feminist. I mean, I call, I call myself a feminist in the same way I call myself a philosopher or a psychologist, which is an amateur and non-exclusively to that paradigm. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's only part of what I am. <laughs> but this book, well, it's very moving, and there are a lot of important ideas in there about what it means to be a woman. Next book is Live Zen, and that's one I haven't actually read. It's one of the few I haven't read. But apparently that's about practical applications of Zen stories and Zen philosophies. Next book is, next book by Osho on my bookshelf is Ecstasy, The Forgotten Language. And this is probably my favorite series, probably my favorite series of talks that Osho has ever done, and it's a commentary on the songs of Kabir. So he is doing comments and talking about the poetry and the philosophies of the mystic Kabir. And in many ways, well, Osho brings more light to it than was... (laughs) He brings more light to the philosophers that were originally or the ideas that were originally in the philosophers that he talks about, or the mystics that he talks about. And that's a common that's a common theme with Osho, and we could say that about Osho's. Well, is he actually saying more than the things that he's commentating on? <laughs> and that's a tricky one. That's a tricky one to answer. But this commentary is very moving, and ecstasy is very important. And, well, so much has come to me, because of my quest for ecstasy 
and my learning about ecstasy and my studying ecstasy and experimenting with ecstasy and I've actually gone on to create my own methods and I've learned how to have my own experiences of ecstasy move into other people and it's something I'll be speaking about more of in the future and of course I have my own ideas I have my own ways of explaining ecstasy how I talk about ecstasy and experientially ecstasy is one of the most important things for me and it's been such a pinnacle part of my journey so it's a pinnacle book for my understanding a pinnacle talk and ecstasy is a pinnacle experience for my journey so there are there are a lot of pinnacles coming around <laughs> there are a lot of pinnacles in the room at the moment <laughs> next book is tantra by osho and he doesn't talk much about sex in that book actually in fact in fact generally speaking osho doesn't talk that much about sex He's sort of seen as the sex guru because his first pamphlet was called Sex to Superconscious, Superconsciousness. And a lot of the controversy around him is about this whole thing of, oh, sex guru, sex, because he talked about sex. But really, proportionally, it, it's quite small out of all the things that he talked about. I mean, more, more what he talked about was meditation, transformative practice, awareness, living with totality, perception, mysticism, going beyond, appreciation for life, living with joyfulness, living with innocence. You know, these are all huge things. There's so much to them. And sex, what he says about sex, is only just one of the many things. And yet somehow for so many people, it's the thing that defines their whole opinion of him. So... I sort of wished in this book about Tantra that he talked more about sex. <laughs> it's more of the methods of, or the philosophy of Tantra that he talks about in this series. And then the next book by Osho. This is called The Fish in the Sea is Not Thirsty. And that's a series of talks that he did about appreciation appreciation of the reality that is there and understanding that reality is enough you already have enough given to you if you could just see it all around you like the fish sees the water all around it and he also does talk about kabir in that series so many of the books that osho has have a component of Kabir about them. And that says that on them. If you're not sure, you can always read the forward or the, the obituary and it will tell you what texts he is commentating on or talking about, referring to. Next book by Osho is called The Search. And this is his explanation of... The classic Zen philosophy, which is the ten oxen herding pitches. 
So in Zen literature, there's this famous work, which is 10 pictures, each representing the stages of enlightenment, right from the very beginning all the way through to full enlightenment. And it's a process which is described as, well, how do you relate to the ox? First you are looking for the ox, and then you see the tail of the ox, and then you see the ox, and then you learn to ride the ox, and then you learn to make friends with the ox, and then you let go of the ox, and there's all these different stages, and he explains his take on them in this book, The Search, by Osho. The next book is called Yahoo! The Mystic Rose by Osho. And in this book, he explains his meditative therapy process called Mystic Rose. And this is something that he invented himself, and it's still done today, every month, in multiple Osho foundations or institutions around the world and I myself have actually done the mystic rose (laughs) and it was such an incredible experience that I could feel like I could talk for hours on it (laughs) and it is it is in my mind to actually write a book about it well not not specifically about mystic rose but partly about mystic rose and partly about my experiences at the Osho International Meditation Resort And that will explain more about the Mystic Rose when it comes out, if it comes out. It's in my mind at the moment. I could write the book, who knows what the future holds. Maybe by the time you've heard this, by the time you're hearing this, I will have written my book and it will be available. Who knows? So that's just how I'm feeling right now. And the next book by Osho, which is on my bookshelf is called The Path of Love. And this is really moving stuff. This is incredible stuff. Because he he goes for the big fish. He goes for love itself. And there are things in that book that, well, they're so profound that maybe the Common folks such as you and me can simply aspire to be what he talks about in those books, in those chapters, in those pages on the path of love. And just that will be enough to have our lives enriched so much more. And it really is something to just even remember the importance of love and to come back to love again and again. And so much of us forget that because we haven't had experiences of love. We haven't had been, we haven't had powerful experiences of love. We haven't been shown how to love. And reading a book about love, well, that's a good place to start. That's a good place to remind yourself. And the things that Osho talks about, well, they're lifelong journeys that you go on. They're lifelong things that you come back to and understand again and again. And that's why it's an invaluable piece of literature, and I highly recommend it. And I was actually given that book, The Path of Love, when I did the process, the intensive awareness 
process called the path of love. And that I consider as one of the most life-defining moments of my entire life. And you can find more out find out more about that online and perhaps also I'll be writing about it in the future and I'll be talking about it more in the future. And now we come to the last book in my Osho collection. And indeed, it's the last book on my bookshelf that I'm sharing with you here today. And this is Glimpses of a Golden Childhood by Osho. And if you read that book, you can start to understand that Osho was from another planet. We're dealing with someone who was way outside any of the spectrums or any of the models or any of the theories that we have that can account for how people are. He's just so much further beyond culture and literature and philosophy and religion. And he knows it and he explains it. That it's just staggering. It's just astonishing. And the things in that book, Glimpses of a Golden Childhood, will leave you gobsmacked. And I've read it thinking, what on earth are we dealing with here? Because it's obviously not a human being. (laughs) And many people say that, well, he's from another planet. And if you can read that book, then you can appreciate it. And you have some semblance of deeper things, profound things, then, well, you can understand that. So I highly recommend Glimpses of a Golden Childhood. And I will be speaking about it more in the future. And who knows, maybe I'll also be writing about it. But at least for now, it can stay as a highly recommended book that sits on my bookshelf. And it's Glimpses of a Golden Childhood by Osho. So that's it. That's my 80 books. It's not very many books. And it is subject to change because I am always getting new books. I'm always finding new books, finding new things to read. And it does come and go in phases. Like I'm very much aware of how limited reading is. And going out and finding my own experiences has been very important. But don't let that undermine knowledge. Don't let that undermine the importance of reading lots. And it's really just one of those things that you need to have as a part of who you are. You just just read lots. You can't go wrong with that. Just, Just pick up a book and read it. Find out what's a good book. What are the books that you haven't heard of? What are the books that you like the sounds of the titles of? Go get them from the library. Borrow them from a friend. Ask your friends, hey, what are you reading? What book do you recommend? Can I borrow it after you? And just keep reading. Just keep on doing it. The path of knowledge is a path, which means that it keeps going. And these days I do actually write more than I 
read, and that's part of the path of knowledge. It's a different kind of way of dealing with knowledge because now I have my own ideas and my own methods. And also I talk on here. I have my own ideas on here. And sometimes I feel that they're a bit undercooked. Like I have this episode called Elixir Koans. And I believe in that there is a lot of ideas that could be useful for people, but it's not quite developed. So maybe there could be a book in that. And I know I keep saying, well, (laughs) go and listen to this episode or that episode, but that's just the nature of these sorts of episodes is we'll recommend books that you read and I recommend episodes that you go and listen to. So I do have a lot of episodes at this stage and it's hard to say, well, if you've listened to them or not. So if you have listened to them, then a lot of this will make sense to you and you'll be resonating with this but if you haven't then well go and listen to some of the reviews that i've done i've done a lot of book many of the books that i've reviewed uh, i've talked about here i've reviewed on my podcast so there's plenty of resources out there and another thing i'll add is that i don't receive any affiliate marketing for anything that i've said here now a lot of people run their podcasts by doing the advertising for books like these and they make money off the titles that they talk about. And some people get around that by actually selling their book list and they actually don't recommend books unless you pay them first. And that's another way around it. But here at this stage, I'm just feeling to share with you the love of knowledge and I don't get any money from it and maybe... There is something in me that feels like I should because I've done the work and I am recommending high quality things. And these are all books that have resonated deeply with me. It's a refined collection and it does take a very long time to find those juicy books. It takes a weeding through of the ones that are good and which are bad. So there is a value to it. There is a value to this. But I've done it all on my own esteem. I've done this all just for the sake of sharing knowledge and you could say well Dosta you've just given these authors one big free advertisement you've given them one big free sales pitch and yes yes that's true but what I take for myself well that's something we can figure out as we go along at this stage I haven't got anything coming in from this podcast and maybe that will change in the future so I thought that would be Something that I would point out because with many of the people recommending books online or on the internet or wherever, they have the motive of selling more for their own affiliate marketing, which means when you buy the book through their link, they get money. So you never really can be sure. Are they in it for the money? Do they really recommend this book? Have they really read that book? What are they really saying about it? Are they just recommending it because it's popular? So here you've had something pure. Here you've had something unadulterated by money. And that's a complex issue. How we navigate money and financial gain and the financial motives of self-help gurus or self-help speakers or book gurus or book recommendations. Well, that's something you have to figure out for yourself. And that's something that I have to figure out for myself. That's something that is subject to change in the future. And 
Well, I don't know what the future holds. I've said that many times just in this conversation alone. So (laughs) I'm hoping it rings true. And I hope we'll be there together to see what happens. Who knows? We'll find out. The future will be here soon enough, I'm sure. And actually, if you want to know more about the future, (laughs) I have an episode which is called Andrew Lake Does Time Travel, Civilization 2618. And that is an episode exactly about the future. (laughs) And it was when, well, I did time travel and I went 600 years into the future. So I recommend you listen to that. And maybe that's too many recommendations for one day, but... At least one more is okay. So there are some thoughts. A lot of homework is there for you, a lot of further research for you. I hope this has served as an introduction. And who knows, maybe I'll do another episode of this style of, you know, what's on my bookshelf when I've got a whole bunch of new books. Who knows? So thanks very much for tuning in. I sincerely hope you've enjoyed these words. Have a beautiful day. And that's all I have to say for now.